Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. It's that time of week again where my business partner, Sam Russ, takes over the show and interviews our guest. I hope you enjoy the show. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Sam Rust. With me today is Eric Oliver. Eric has been with the Cost Segregation Authority for five years, helping real estate investors save millions of tax dollars. Eric speaks at a variety of local, regional, and national events on cost segregation and other tax-saving strategies and brings a passion for identifying cost savings and educating commercial real estate owners on the benefits of cost segregation. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Sam, for having me. I appreciate it. So talking before we started here, Eric, but maybe we could give our audience just a little bit of a flavor for what cost segregation is. I think most folks know, so maybe we keep it a little bit on the briefer side, but what are we trying to accomplish by using cost segregation as commercial property owners? So cost segregation, really what we're doing is we're accelerating your depreciation deductions. So a lot of us get into real estate, not the only reason, but some of us get into real estate for the tax benefits. So every time you buy a commercial property, you get to depreciate that property over 27 and a half for residential type properties or 39 year for commercial properties. And you get the tax deduction. It's a non-cash deduction depreciation. And you basically on a, let's say an apartment building, you're going to get one twenty-seventh of that every year for the next 27 and a half years. And so instead of waiting 27 and a half years to realize those deductions, oftentimes people will do a cost segregation study on that building to accelerate those deductions into current years. And the way we do that is we segregate out different components of your building, whether it's five, seven, or 15-year assets, and you get to depreciate those over a much shorter time frame. For example, five-year assets are things like carpet, countertops, cabinets, light fixtures, certain light fixtures. Then you've got your 15-year assets, which is your land improvements. And so by segregating those components out of your purchase price, you're able to accelerate those deductions at a much faster rate and realize those gains at a much faster rate by doing a cost segregation study. So it's kind of a quick overview. <laughs> Let me know if you want me to go into more detail, but. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think something that's important to point out conceptually is investors, we talk a lot about IRR, internal rate of return, which takes into account the time value of money. It seems like I can't go an hour without seeing some inflationary article pop up across my screen. And so there's really true value in delaying taxes. Even if you're planning on selling this property in just a couple of years, being able to capture those tax savings today, invest those dollars or use those dollars for your business, it's going to yield dividends down the road, again, as inflation continues to be on the rise. One of the questions that I get asked quite often by folks, maybe in the smaller commercial space, Eric, is how small is too small for cost segregation? And I know there's differing opinions on that. I know several fix and flippers that are exploring doing cost segregation, even though they're not holding the assets for all that long. Maybe it's a higher end flip where they're holding a project for nine to 12 months, but they are crossing that magical calendar year barrier. What are some good rules of thumb for our audience who maybe are doing smaller commercial projects, you know, 20 doors and under, fix and flips, anything maybe under, call it 3 million in purchase price? So I like to look at anything over 100,000, especially with the current tax laws the way they are. When cost segregation first came out, it was 
10, $15,000 to do these studies. And you had to have, you know, a million, $2 million asset for it to pencil out. But nowadays with the bonus depreciation, which we can talk about quickly, but bonus depreciation, basically with the Trump tax cuts and jobs act, Trump raised the bonus depreciation to hundred percent bonus. So any assets purchased or built after September 27th of 2017 are eligible for hundred percent bonus. And so that really put cost segregation almost on steroids and said, okay, now it even applies to more people because now let's say I buy $150,000 single family rental home. I take out 20,000 for land value. That gives me $130,000 of depreciable basis. If we do a cost sake study on that and we can segregate out, let's say we typically segregate somewhere around 30%. So 30% of 130 is $39,000 of deduction. Take that 39,000 times your tax bracket. So if you're in a 30% tax bracket, you're now looking at close to $10,000 of tax savings. And so a study like that on a single family residential might cost you $2,000 to get the study done, but you're going to save $10,000 in taxes the first year. And so for me, in the past, $150,000 property may not have been a good candidate for cost segregation, but now we look at it and we say, okay, well, did you purchase it after that magical September 27th, 2017 date? And if you did, maybe it's eligible for bonus. And so it kind of depends on a number of factors, how long you've held it when you bought it, what you paid for it. But we want to look at anything over about $100,000 and see if there's significant tax savings there. So I know there's some differing opinions in the industry. Some companies won't look at anything over 500,000 or there's even some companies that won't look at anything under a million. But I mean, we don't make a ton of money on single family rentals, to be honest with you. But from an investor standpoint, $10,000 tax savings, you know, if I have to pay 2,000 to save 10,000, I'll do that all day long. So that's pretty good ROI. What has driven the cost of the segregation study itself down so much over the last 10, 15 years? That's a great question. One, I think is education, just people being aware of it. People like yourself putting this information out there. A lot of investors, I can't tell you how many, especially when I first started, this was five years ago. When I first started, I would meet with CPAs who had never heard of cost segregation. And so they weren't offering it to any of their clients. And so just the education, I think, has been a huge impact and driving those costs down. And then also with the bonus depreciation with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, I think there's a lot more players in our industry. And so we've seen the costs come down significantly since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And then the third would just be technology. All the cost segregation companies have become more efficient. And so we're able to reduce the amount of time it takes us to do the studies and pass that savings on to the client. So I think those are the big factors. But yeah, anything under 100,000 is worth looking at. It doesn't mean it's going to make sense to move forward on, but you should at least have some numbers run. Most cost segregation companies will run you a free benefit analysis before you ever engage them or before you ever have to pay anything. And so have the numbers run. So you at least have the information and say, okay, does this make an impact in my tax return? And you know, should I move forward on something like this? So as you alluded to, Eric, there's a lot of cost segregation providers out in the space. I think there's a big educational component. There's a lot of people that are waving the flag of cost segregation, so to speak. But that leaves the consumer, the investor, the person who's going on finding these studies, maybe a little bit overwhelmed. What are some good questions to ask when someone's looking to select a cost segregation provider? What do you find is a good differentiator of quality and overall experience? First thing is just find out how long they've been in business. I think that is key. It's interesting. We see a lot of 
competitive situations we get in with clients where they're looking at multiple providers. And it is hard. I will say it is hard for the average investor to look at the benefit analysis from three different companies and make sense of it. You're very rarely comparing apples to apples. So I'll ask the client, I'll say, hey, show me what the competitor is giving you. And I'll let you know whether or not we're comparing apples to apples. For example, some companies don't include all the tax paperwork that is required to submit these. There's a 3115 tax form that is required on some studies when you submit these with your tax return. And so I see vendor A might be a little bit less expensive up front, but they're not providing this nine page tax form that your CPA is going to charge you $1,200 to compile. And so you're not always comparing apples. You might save $1,000, but then you're going to pay your CPA $1,000 more for preparing the tax form. So compiling the 3115 tax form is important. The other thing I would say is look for audit support. There's a lot of low cost providers out there who don't provide audit support or they will provide it, but it's for a fee. So meaning if you're ever audited or anyone ever questioned your cost segregation study, they're going to require you to pay money to defend that study. So a lot of the larger companies provide free audits. And so that's something to look for. And then, like I said, look for experience. We've redone studies for other firms where the other company might only segregate 15% of the purchase price. So meaning if you buy a million dollar asset, they're going to basically say $150,000 of that asset is short-term assets. So you get to take that $150,000 deduction. So if you're in a 30% tax bracket, you're going to save $45,000 in taxes. We've done studies on that same building and found 30% segregation, which means your $45,000 tax savings just became a $90,000 tax savings. So it's very similar. You would think that it's a science and everything, the numbers would be the same no matter who did it. But it's just like if you were to take your tax return to five different CPAs, you're going to end up owing five different amounts, depending on their interpretation of the law, their experience. There's a number of different factors that will make some tax return more than others. And so it's the same thing with cost segregation. You get what you pay for. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> so you don't want to go with the lowest cost provider. You want to make sure that they're competitive. But I would say don't always go with the lowest cost provider because you're probably getting a lower quality study. So look at their experience, look at how long they've been in business, make sure that they provide audit support. And those are really the main factors when picking a cost segregation provider. So here on the Real Estate Syndication Show, we talk primarily about multifamily. We have some self-storage, maybe some single-family investors here and there. But there's a lot of other classifications of real estate beyond just self-storage and multifamily. You've got office, you've got retail, you've got medical, warehouse, industrial. I'm curious, just as a kind of a broad overview I've heard cost segregation works in all the different areas, but I'm sure there's a range of outcomes. Where is maybe cost segregation the most efficient and the least efficient across the different asset types that you've seen? Yeah, you know, I would say, which is good news for your audience, is that the multifamily tends to be the higher. There seems to be more personal property in apartment building. You think about it, there's a lot of countertops, there's a lot of cabinets, a lot of appliances, ceiling fans, carpet, flooring, those type of things. Versus a warehouse where you might just have an empty space. So multifamily is a good category. Self-storage is a good category too because of the land improvements. So oftentimes you've got a lot of curbs, gutters, asphalts, concrete, depending on the type of storage units you're putting together. And then mobile home parks are also a good category depending on the type of home the mobile home park owns the homes or the people own the homes. Those are some factors there, but mobile home parks can be a great category as well. But usually we're finding somewhere between, you should get on the asset somewhere between 20 and 35% segregation. 
And so your multifamily is going to be closer to that 30, 35. And then your industrial warehouse is going to be on that lower 20. But if you're getting less, if you've done a cost stake study and you've got less than 20% segregation, definitely have somebody else look at it because you should be getting at least 20% segregation on any type of asset, unless there's some weird circumstances. But it's usually between 20 and 35%, depending on the asset class. Excellent. And then something that's not talked about a lot, Eric, and I'm curious for you to kind of step through this, but we often talk about completing the study, realizing those benefits in year one, but then there's depreciation recapture on the back end. So a, a typical project for a syndication group, you know, they might buy a multifamily property, realize the savings through cost segregation up front, hold the project for five years. What does that recapture process look like at the end of a five-year hold using simple numbers? Great question. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a question we get quite often as well. If I have to, when I sell this asset, I'm going to have depreciation back. So why would I want to front load a huge number? I'm not just going to have to pay that all back. And the answer is no, you don't have to pay it all back and you're paying it back at a lower rate. So let me just kind of walk through this. You do, you buy a property today, you do a cost study and to create a huge depreciation number that you get to take against your current income. You're going to take that against your ordinary income rate. So let's say I'm in a 37% tax bracket. I'm going to take that against 37% income. If and when I pay that back, so let's say I, I hold it for five years, I've done a cost stake study, I'm going to pay a portion of that back in five years. And the reason I say a portion of that back is because remember in our cost stake study, we identify five-year assets. So how much is your flooring worth? Your flooring is a five-year asset. How, what is the book value of your flooring after five years? It's zero. You've owned it for five years. You fully depreciated it. You don't have to pay recapture on that. The recapture law states you pay recapture on the amount of depreciation you've taken or the gain on the sell. And this is where the light kind of goes off for CPAs when we're talking with CPAs. But what is the gain? What is the value of my carpet after owning that carpet for five years? I'm not selling it for a gain, right? It's not worth more. It's dirty. It's stained. It's five years old. It's not worth more than what it was when I bought it. And so you don't pay recapture on those five-year assets. So yes, you do have to pay recapture, but you're paying it back on a lesser amount and at a lower rate. So when you sell it, you're shifting it over to a capital gains rate of 20 or 15%. So you're taking your deduction at 37%. And picking up a portion of it at 20% and saving the spread. And so, like I said, if you don't do cost segregation, what ends up happening is let's say I buy a property for a million and I sell it five years later for 2 million. You're telling the IRS that everything in that building, the land, the walls, the dirty old carpet, everything doubled in value. You're saying your dirty old carpet is worth double today versus what you bought it for five years ago. And that's just not the case. Your personal property depreciates, it goes down in value, it doesn't appreciate. And so you, by doing a cost segregation study, it allows you to allocate the sales price to the right buckets, for lack of a better word. Your five-year stuff isn't going up. Your land and your walls went up in value, but your five-year dirty old carpet certainly didn't go up in value. And so you're being able to take that out of the recapture, and that's where the tax savings. So you're saving, you got the time value of money on the front end, and then you're reducing your recapture on the back end by being able to pull out some of that stuff that's fully depreciated, depending on how long you own the asset, obviously. Sure. Using an example, if you bought a property for $10 million, you had $2 million in personal property, let's say, which hits that 20% threshold, but then you hold it for the five years, 
you're knocking down a lot of what you're going to end up paying in recapture because you can allocate your sales price. Let's just say it was 13 million. You grew by 3 million over that time span. You can allocate that gain outside of the personal property bucket. That's exactly right. Yep. You're not putting that gain to your dirty old carpet. Your dirty old carpet didn't go up in value. Your land and your walls went up in value. And so you're shifting it from ordinary gain to down to capital gains at 20%. So you're paying it back at 20%, but you're taking the deduction against income at 37% possibly, depending on what tax bracket you're in and saving the spread. That makes a lot of sense. That's very interesting. So throughout this conversation, Eric, you've referenced the capital gains rate of 20%. Here we are, the year of our Lord, 2021. We're in the summertime. Nothing has happened yet. There's a lot of rumor. There's a lot of smoke coming out of Washington, what they're going to do to the capital gains rate, to the tax code in general. What, if anything, has affected the cost segregation process since Biden has taken office? And what, if anything, do you see coming down the pike over the next six to 12 months that might affect this process? That's a question we're getting a lot now is how is the new administration going to affect my tax rates and my capital gains if I were to sell these properties? So the first thing to consider is there's discussion of eliminating like-kind exchanges or 1031 exchanges on real estate gains greater than 500000 And so if you buy a property for a million and you sell it or it's valued at $2 million, you may no longer be able to exchange that and defer your tax bill. And so cost segregation could be more important because now you've got to have, if you've got other assets, you cost seg those other assets, lower your taxable income, and now you're below that threshold so that you may be able to offset those gains. So that's the first thing. The second thing is individual rates. They're talking about increasing those to 39.6% from the highest bracket right now is 37%. So again, what that does from a cost segregation standpoint is now instead of saving, if you're in that highest tax bracket, you're now saving 39.6% in taxes versus 37. So you're getting an extra 2.6 in tax savings essentially by doing a cost seg study. Now, if you're in a state where you've got high state rates like California, you're saving obviously significantly more, but the value of doing a cost seg study, if that were to go through, just went up by 2.6%. So your tax savings is going up. The other thing that I would look at or that there's discussion on is no longer being able to take advantage of the step up in basis upon death. So right now, if I own a million dollar property, let's say I bought a property for a million, I die, the property's now worth five million, and I handed that property over to my son. In the current world, they get a step up to the five million and pay no taxes. Under some of the stuff that's being talked about in Washington, that step up goes away. And now all of a sudden, my heirs have to pay taxes on that $4 million gain in that scenario. And so my son, who doesn't have that kind of money, all of a sudden he inherits a property and has to come up with a huge tax bill. Chances are he's going to have to sell the property or find another way to pay for that tax bill. So that's some things that are being talked about. So there's some interesting scenarios where you can use cost segregation to get you out of those, to kind of manage your tax brackets to get you out of those higher tax brackets, get you into some lower tax brackets and save significant tax dollars. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, this is the stuff that's being proposed right now. They still have to agree on it and vote on it, which will be a little bit harder, I think. But we know for sure we're going to be paying more taxes. How that's going to come, we don't know. But chances are next year, this time, we'll probably be paying more taxes than we are this year. And so just cost segregation is extremely flexible, meaning 
I buy a property in 2021, I don't necessarily have to do the cost sake study in 2021. If I don't have a big tax bill or I think the tax rates are going to be higher in 2022, you hold off and do the cost sake study in 2022 and offset your 2022 income. And so cost segregation is one of the few tax planning tools that is extremely flexible and kind of leave it in your back pocket and say, okay, when do I want to play this card? I want to play it when the tax rates are the highest or my income is the highest. And you have the flexibility to do that. So in saying that, I'll just give a shout out to the CPAs out there because having a good CPA who understands these rules, who has a good cost seg provider that they work with makes a huge difference. I see the gamut. I've seen, it's amazing how much money people pay in taxes where they don't have to because they have a CPA who maybe is not necessarily well-versed on real estate or doesn't understand the real estate law and how you can play these different pieces together to save tax dollars. So get yourself a good real estate CPA, a good cost segregation provider who works hand in hand with your CPA so that you can reduce your tax liability because we are going to be paying more taxes here in the coming future. Yep. One of the few certainties in life, death and taxes, right? Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us today, Eric. Where can people find out more about what you're doing over at Cost Segregation Authority? Yeah. So you can go to our website, www.costsegauthority.com. You can reach me. My email is just eric, E-R-I-K, at cost, C-O-S-T, seg, S-E-G, authority.com, eric at cost, seg, authority. I'll give you my cell phone number. It's 602-568-0032. Feel free to call me if you have any questions pertaining to depreciation or real estate taxes. We see a lot. We work with CPAs all over the country. We see kind of what's happening, what's on the cutting edge. Don't call me and ask me about child tax credits. I can't help you with that. But please use us as a resource for anything depreciation related. We're happy to help. We're happy to jump on a call with your CPA to kind of walk through this process, see if you know they have all your information. And so we want to partner with CPAs early in the process and say, okay, does cost segregation fit for this client? How much can they save? CPA, have you thought about looking at it from this standpoint or from this standpoint? So we want to partner with your CPA to kind of figure out if you can save tax dollars. So again, feel free to call me, email me, visit our website, but those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Eric. Thank you listeners for joining us today on another episode of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Have a great rest of your afternoon. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.